James, part three. We've been going through the book of James, uh, an expository sermon looking at basically the whole book of James. We're just working ourselves through the book of James, uh, not verse by verse, but chunk by chunk. So we're kind of taking uh, pieces of the book of James that apply to particular situations, and we're working through those at the same time. So last time, two weeks ago, we talked about God's power revealed in the book of James and five particular types of miracles, types of uh, attaining the power of God in our lives that are, are talked about here in the book of James, the miraculous impartation of wisdom. How many people need wisdom to understand what to do, how to see things? Uh, you know, in, in James, it says that we can ask God and he will give generously if we lack wisdom. So we want to grab hold of wisdom. There's Divine provision, receiving provision from God in the book of James. The miraculous impartation of grace in the book of James. The power to defeat the devil in the book of James. It says that if we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil, that he will flee. What does flee mean? It means run away. Who would ever thought you had access through the power of God to make the devil flee? Who would have ever thought? Now, it isn't because, you know, you attain such a great, awesome level of whatever, and you're so strong that you can beat the devil. The way I look at it is, uh, here's, here's me, you know, little bitty me, and I'm resisting the devil. And behind me is this massive, uh, Jesus saying, all right, you heard him, you get out of there. He backs us up when we submit to him. And so that's how we can make the devil flee is because he has to submit to the living God. Uh, It's not that, you know, Satan and God are duking it out and we're going to see who's going to win. It's there's Satan and God. God is much, much more powerful. And so we, we see the power to defeat the devil in the book of James and we see divine healing in the book of James. Fantastic stuff. Uh, cause James is, is very, harsh and very straightforward, uh, but still talks about the power of God to uh, bring us into the miraculous. And so that's, we covered the last time. This time we're going to talk about the deeds of faith, the deeds of faith. So let's pray. We'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for each one that's in here right now. Father, I know you've got a plan for this time as we look into the book of James. And Lord, I just pray that you'd bring forth something good from your truth. Lord, let it be. Help us to see something uh, that's going to make a difference in our lives today. And Father, each one of us is dealing with uh, different situations. We're in the middle of different things, and we need a different touch from you. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with exactly what we need so that we can take a step forward in, in building our faith, believing in you better, serving you more effectively, knowing we're loved by you a little bit more. Lord, whatever step we need to take, Father, I pray by your spirit, you would bring us up into that new place. So bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. James part three, the deeds of faith. If you've read the book of James, you will realize that James has a big problem with hypocrites. He's not a huge fan of hypocrites. 
And he's not uh, shy about describing how he feels. And one of the types of hypocrites that James does not like is the ones who are big talkers, but who are not doers. The ones who know what to say, but they don't live it out. James doesn't like the big talkers who aren't doers. And we see that in James chapter 1, verse 22. Are you, you know, put your seatbelts on. You know, because, uh, you know, if you don't, your head might hit the side of the car and that'll be a bummer. Because uh, there's good stuff going to happen today. But again, James, he lets her fly. And so, says some pretty strong things. So, enjoy. It's going to be great. We'll get something good by the time we're done. All right. James one twenty two. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So, who wants to avoid being deceived? I would like to avoid being deceived. Being deceived is bad. Deception is bad. How do we avoid being deceived according to James 1.22? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. In order to avoid being deceived... We must do what the Bible says. We must live out the teachings of Christ. It's not enough to know what they are and ignore them and do something else. If we do that, we end up in deception. However, if we know the teachings of Christ, we know the teachings in the scriptures, and we put them into practice, then our eyes are opened and we can see and we're not deceived. So we must do what it says. Now, I believe... That the Bible is the holy, inerrant, inspired word of God. Amen? So when I say this, I'm not questioning the Bible at all. I'm just wanting to say something in a way that kind of sparks our interest. So here we go. If this verse were actually true, how many Christians would be deceived right now? If this verse were actually true, what percentage of Christians are deceived right now? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. How many professing believers don't do what it says and are then open to deception? I think it's a rather high percentage. (laughs) It's a rather high percentage. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If we're talkers, we know the Sunday school answer. We know when to nod and say yes, but we don't put it into practice. Then we end up in deception. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived. Let's believe this verse and let's live it out. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let's read the the rest of that section up through verse 27. Uh, Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So uh, here's what James is saying here is, uh, you know, why do you look in the mirror in the morning? To, To fix what's wrong. Right? That's what you do in the mirror. You look in the mirror and you're like, oh no. And you deal with stuff like, oh, I gotta, I gotta deal with my hair. I gotta do this, that, the other thing. It's much simpler for me, except that when I look in the mirror, I think, well, there's not much I can do about that. And I just move on with my life. But 
What James is saying is you look in a mirror to fix what's wrong. Why do you read the Bible? Why do you search out the things of God? To fix what's wrong. To to take care of things in our heart that need to be changed. To understand the mind and the plan of God. And to align ourselves with that. We look at the scriptures to see what we need to change. And if you look in the mirror and there's all this stuff that needs to be dealt with, but then you just ignore it and you walk out in, and you go to church and you got, you know, you got a piece of blueberry muffin uh, on your lip and you got hair way out over here and, and uh, you know, your clothes are buttoned off, you know, and that sort of stuff. Uh, and you just think, well, I look perfectly fine. Do the other people think the same thing? No, because they can see, right? Just because you forgot what you look like doesn't mean that other people can't tell what you look like. They can still see. And it's spiritually true as well. You may think that you've got it all together and you're presenting a nice Christian uh, front, but other people can see through those issues and they can tell that there's something wrong. I was at a, uh, a pastor's training one time and they were talking about uh, the challenges of being an imperfect person and leading in a Christian situation. You're like, how can you be the, the fallible leader of a, a Christian church? How do you do that? You know, it's, it's difficult. And one of the strategies that they said was, well, make sure you're very open and honest about your faults, the things you're not good at, your failings. Make sure you're very open and honest about that because your people already know. And they're just going to be thrilled to know that you also know. And that's going to take a lot of the pressure off. Because isn't it true? You know, you can see what's wrong with people. If you had, you know, teachers in school, you could tell what they were good at, what they weren't good at. Pastors, you can tell what they're good at, what they're not good at. It's very easy. So other people can see what's not working in your life. If you go to the scriptures and you just ignore it, then you're stepping out into a situation where you're not dealing with something, but everybody else is going to be aware of it at one point or another. And so you might as well deal with it. You might as well fix it. You might as well take care of it. Let's keep reading verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. I love this phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom. Does law give freedom or does law constrain? You don't do this, don't do that. Law, we think of it as a constraining factor, but the law of God gives freedom. The law of God sets us free. Then when we put it into practice, we understand that freedom and we're not deceived into thinking that God is trying to hinder us and pull us back, but we understand that God is catapulting us forward. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, see, James, he just lets it fly. Here, what James is saying is, if you say stuff you shouldn't say, then you're deceived into thinking that you're doing well in your following of God. But the truth of the matter is, is that your religion is worthless. You need to watch your tongue. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. I remember the moment when my cassette tape was playing, and I heard that, and I thought, here it is. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is 
To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I thought, okay. (laughs) I was looking for something maybe a little bit more, you know, profound and amazing. Uh, But then the more you look at this, you realize how significant this is. James looks at two particular things here. He says, you need to help people who need help. And you need to keep yourself from getting influenced by the darkness of this world and your heart darkened. Instead, you need to be a light for Christ. You need to have the joy of the Lord, peace, all that. You need to not be polluted by the darkness of this world. Don't let that stuff get in and help people that need help. This week, we're basically talking about the first one, look after orphans and widows in their distress. You might uh, refer to this as social justice. Um, Does God care about social justice issues that the poor, uh, you know, the hungry are fed, that people who need help get help? Does God care about that sort of thing? Absolutely. If you uh, haven't had enough bludgeoning from the scriptures, we're going to go to, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 25. And we are going to look at the parable that Jesus tells about the sheep and the goats. And it's uh, basically dealing with the second coming of Christ and what that's going to be like. So, you know, Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life. When he was 30, he entered into ministry because that was the age you had to be to be a rabbi in that culture. And so he submitted to that. Of course, he understood everything before that. And he entered into his public ministry and he taught and gave examples for how we're to live. And then he died as a sacrifice, a divine sacrifice to satisfy the wages of sin is death to redeem us from the wages of sin. And then Jesus ascended to the father And then he is going to come back. Jesus will return. That has not happened yet. We are poised for it to happen, I think, at virtually any time. So we ought to be ready. Here's what it's going to be like, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep. From the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When we help someone in need, Jesus takes it personally. When we help someone who's in a desperate situation, Jesus takes it personally. When we have an advantage, but instead of pressing our advantage, 
we help. Jesus takes it personally. Verse 41, there's something else he takes personally. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. How does that sound? Let's avoid this one. Verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So. Jesus takes it personally when we help other people. Jesus takes it personally when we don't help other people. God is interested in people helping other people. One of the main concepts of Christianity is don't look at yourself and your needs, but look at other people's needs and help them. One of the primary fundamental concepts of You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, help other people. So God does care about social justice issues. God does want us to look at the needs of others and to help. Are you properly motivated? Ready to help out? Fantastic. All right. However, some Christians talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Would you agree? Some Christians talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Let me ask you this question. How do people like that make you feel? Do you think to yourself, well, they say they believe, and I guess that's good enough. Because it's not about works, it's about faith. And so, that's awesome. Or do you think to yourself, man, there's got to be something missing there because they're talking about all these things of God and they're not living it out. Isn't it the second one? Don't we think this doesn't make sense? This is, this is weird that people would say all these things, but then their actions would be opposite. How do we deal with that? How do we understand that? Well, James in chapter 2 deals with big talkers who aren't doers more directly. James 2, starting in verse 14, we'll work through this. And we've got a very important concept to deal with today. So be ready for that. Oh, man, Kids Church is having a great time. It's it's like we should have bingo. You know what I mean? Like little cards and like, oh, no, that's mine. But at least I got a bingo. You know, that sort of thing. I should not distract myself. All right. (laughs) James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? So, for example, if you're driving down 
the, the highway and you see a friend of yours with a flat tire, they're obviously having difficulty. It's not working for them. So you roll your window down and say, I'll be praying for you. Is that helpful? Oh, you need someone to come and help you with your flat tire. It says, what good is it if you don't do anything? Just saying some cutesy little religious thing to people and then moving on with your life doesn't help. Step in and help. Verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, verse 18 is a verse that for me has been difficult to understand because it seems to be backwards. You know, James is all about, you got to do it, man. You got to step in and do it. Don't be a talker who's not a doer and deceive yourself. You got you to gotta live out your faith. But someone will say, you have faith. Is that to James? You have faith. I have deeds. This other person has deeds. I thought James would be the one with the deeds. Wouldn't the, someone say, you have deeds, I have faith. It seems backwards to me. So I've always thought, what in the world is going on here? Uh, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. We're going to talk about what this verse means in just a minute. Well, let's read the rest of the section up to verse 26. But we'll go back to this one. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's not enough to know God exists. We must trust God, we must love God, we must want to live in his ways. Verse 20, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? <laughs> Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. You know, there were great theologians that wanted the book of James taken out of the Bible. Because of this, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, are we justified by our works? I don't know what to say. Uh, No, you're not. You're not justified by your works. You're justified by faith. So why would James say that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone? Well, let's talk about that a little more. All right. I think we've got two more verses to read. 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's go back to James 2.18. Here I believe yesterday God showed me what James 2.18 is all about. So can you learn something new all the time? Amen. Fundamental, simple. You know, it's one of those revelations where you're like, oh, and then, oh. You know, have you had those revelations? You're excited, and then you feel stupid for not having had it already. So you guys probably already know this, but here we go. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He's saying, we we get into all these weird arguments and all these problems when we try to separate out faith and deeds and make them two completely separate things. But James is saying they're not two completely separate things. 
they're intertwined and interwoven. They're part of the same thing. So when we try to separate them, we get confusion. We get all these issues going on, but we need to bring them together and realize that faith and deeds work together, that faith is made complete by what we do, that they're interwoven. The fruit of faith is action. So, how many people have thought to themselves with regards to part of living the Christian life, I know I should, but. Have you ever said that phrase? I know I should, blank, but. I know I should read my Bible, but. I know I should pray more, but. I know I should go to church, but (laughs) I know I should think this is possible, but. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Lack of deeds is not a deeds problem. It's a faith problem. If I'm not praying, the problem isn't that I'm not praying. The problem is that I don't believe in the power of prayer. If I'm not reading my Bible, the problem isn't that I'm not reading my Bible. The problem is that I don't believe that I can find the life-changing truths of God when I read the Bible. It's a faith problem. Let's look at James 2, 17 and 26 that we've already read and when we see a action problem, where is the problem underneath it? James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So if somebody's a big talker, but they're not a doer, is the problem that they should be doing more, what's dead in verse 17? The faith part. It isn't the, oh, you better get your actions down, do more actions. That's not what James is saying. He's saying the faith part is dead. Because out of the faith comes the actions. And similarly in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So if we're not doing the things that we know we're supposed to do, we shouldn't just try to do them more. We need to realize that it's a faith issue. So when we look at the, I know I should, but list of things. I know I should pray, but let me give you three options. What do you do when you know you're supposed to be doing something and you're not doing it? Option number one, feel guilty and ask for forgiveness, but still don't do it. Very common Christian response to not doing something you know you should be doing. Feel guilty about it. Ask God to forgive you, but you still just don't get around to doing it. Option number two. Put prayer on your to-do list. So if, it, you know, if I know I'm supposed to pray, put prayer on your to-do list and force yourself to do it. Have you ever forced yourself to do something you know you should do and it just turned out to be this dry, dead mess that accomplished nothing? I have. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to, so I will. And then you're thinking, that was a waste of time. Nothing happened. Nothing got done. Well, it isn't an action problem. It's a faith problem. So here's what you need to do. Option number three is to look to build your faith in the power 
of the spiritual discipline that you need to do. Look to build your faith in the power of prayer. If you believed that five minutes of prayer in the beginning of your day would change your day from a wandering, meaningless disaster into you being in the middle of the will of God and being able to see through all the confusion, grab hold of of what's there and have victory in that day. If you believe five minutes of prayer in the morning would accomplish that, would you pray for five minutes in the morning? Oh yeah, could I stop you from praying? No, You'd, you'd pretend to not be praying and you'd be praying. You know what I mean? Like if there was a law, if you pray, you go to prison, you'd just, you know, be washing the dishes and and pretending you're not praying and you'd be praying in your spirit on the inside because you knew it would make the difference. The overflow of faith is the action. But the reason we don't pray is because we don't think it's going to make any difference. We prayed and then nothing happened and now our faith in prayer is diminished and now we're not interested in it. And so we stop. Amen. However, is there power in prayer? So we know to say yes. (laughs) We know to be big talkers. But can we get faith back in our hearts in the power of prayer? Yes, we can. But we need to look at building our faith rather than doing the right thing. We can't separate faith and actions. Are you catching that? Isn't that big stuff? So anything in the no, I, sh- I know I should, but category, I know I should read my Bible. I know I should go to church. I know I should pray. I know I should finally lead that Bible study in my house. I know I should, but the key to getting that going is building your faith in the principle behind it, building your faith in the power of prayer, building your faith in the ability to make a difference in somebody else's life through the power of God. So you can have your Bible study at home. If you thought, if you had five people over to your house and you had a little Bible study that ran for six weeks and that four people would get saved and the other person would get delivered from a a yucky thing in their life, would you go ahead and have it? Oh, man, again, could I stop you? You'd be like, oh, Pastor Mike doesn't, I'm going to do it on my own. You know, you just would do it. You'd force it to happen because you knew something great was going to come. It's the faith in the thing that causes the actions. And so if the actions aren't there, then the faith is what we need to work on. So there's been some harsh language that we've looked at here, you know, in James, in Matthew, the whole, you know, fire prepared for the devil and his angels and that sort of thing. One of the big dangers when we're looking at faith and deeds, faith versus deeds, is when we separate the two out and people focus on deeds, then they can get legalistic. They can get the whole earning your faith by works, business, all that yuck. All that needs to be gone. We need to worry about building our faith. Don't get all panicked and legalistic and start trying to earn your salvation or anything like that. Just work on your faith, believing in the beauty and wonder of the word of God to change your life. Believe in the power of prayer. Believe in your capacity to speak life into somebody else's life. You know, believe in these things of God. Believe in the power of worship to enter into the presence of God and have darkness in your heart washed out as you just bask in the presence of the Lord. Believe in these things and the actions will come. 
If you don't believe in worship, then you're just going to wait bored while the song service is going on. If you believe in it, you'll enter into the presence of God. The actions follow the faith. They're interwoven. They're intertwined. You, 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 catch, you catching that? Feeling good about that? All right. Because this is a big deal. I, I, you know, like I learned this yesterday. I'm super happy about it. Uh, because, you know, for me, there's all these things you know you should. And you feel guilty for not. How do you fix it? Well, you just grit your teeth and go. Well, no. Start believing in the pure thing God has designed. And then the other stuff is just going to flow. I remember as a new Christian, I couldn't stop reading the Bible. I used to listen to the Bible on tape eight, nine hours a day. You know, I did the, I did the whole Bible three times in the New Testament, 10 times in one summer. Couldn't stop myself, you know? And then I've also had times where I open the Bible and read and it's, bleh, you know, been there. <laughs> Faith in the power of the living word of God. Faith in the power of prayer. Faith in the power to make a difference in somebody else's life. Faith is where it's at. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. So again, we don't want to get legalistic. We don't want to be earning our salvation through works because that's just mimicking a symptom of faith. It doesn't do anything. You can do all the actions, but the heart isn't there. That doesn't accomplish anything. We can't earn our salvation through works. We just need to get our heart right and be full of faith so that we start uh, naturally doing the things of God. The other danger when we talk about these sorts of things is people thinking it's too heavy of a load. Have you ever thought following Christ is too heavy of a load? It's just a lot of work. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that hard, difficult commitment. This is another thing that I believe God just showed me is that if you don't have the faith in prayer, but you still pray, prayer is a heavy load. If you don't have faith in the the living word of God to spark something in your spirit, then Bible reading is a heavy load. If you think church is a waste of time, showing up for church is a heavy load. If we don't have faith, It's a heavy load. But Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So many people think Jesus was lying when he said this. It was just a ploy to get people to accept him and follow him. But once they do, it's this huge hassle and it's a heavy load that they can't do. And so they're just between uh, shirking their responsibilities and asking for forgiveness. There's just a cycle between those two things. But let me tell you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light is actually true. And it's true when we walk by faith and we trust in the things of God and we are convinced in the power of prayer. We are convinced in the power of worship. We are convinced that the word of God is living and active and will make a difference. When we are convinced that the things of God are there, that we can step into service to God and make an eternal difference. When we have faith in those things, again, that yoke is easy. It's exciting and fun and and life-giving and vibrant. 
One of the things about this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, is we need to take the other yokes off. You know how you carry stuff that doesn't belong to you? Carry, you know, I got to measure up. So that yoke, get rid of that one. You know, I got to, I got to win. I've got to be better than these people. Uh, The yoke of unforgiveness. These people have wronged me. They're horrible people. You carry that with you. It's a heavy yoke. One of those heavy yokes, a religious yoke, is not really believing that the things of God are worth doing, but having to do them anyway, that's a heavy yoke. Take that off and put on his yoke, which is a yoke of faith, trusting that prayer works, trusting that the truths of God will reveal themselves as we honestly seek and search the scriptures, trusting these things of God that we can step into service to God and make a real difference. When we believe that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So let's pray along those lines. Then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. Come up and get prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. Amen. <laughs> I believe God wants to do something today to, uh, to show the power of faith in prayer. So let's pray now. And then we'll have times of personal prayer up in the front. So Heavenly Father, We're asking you to build our faith. Lord, we know that the things in our life that don't line up with what we say need more faith. Lord, when we don't believe love your neighbor, we're not going to love our neighbor. When we don't believe that we can ask and receive, we're not going to ask. If we don't believe your word is living and active, we're not going to search it out. So Lord, build our faith. You are good. You give good gifts. You are there for us. You are well able. And so we trust in you. Father, by your spirit, impart faith upon us right now. Lord, look, let us see the I know I should, but situations in our life. And Lord, give us faith to believe that it's possible to have the power of prayer show itself, to have your word be living and active, to have uh, the, the forgiveness bring life. Lord, let us trust you and believe in those things. Walk by faith and then the, the overflow will naturally be the deeds, the behaviors, the actions that you're looking for. Let us never feel guilty, but instead seek, greater faith. Father, let your faith fall upon us all that we may receive. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Lord, let your peace be upon us. Let your joy fill our hearts, which is our strength. Let us know fully we are loved by you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.